You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Would you remain standing for a reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 15? We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfast and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that together with one voice you may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become the servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God by his, for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, you Gentiles, and let the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come the one who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Eternal God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for your living and active word, and we pray that today your word will not just come in sound or written on a page, we're on a digital screen, but that your word would come with power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. We pray this through Jesus, the living word. Amen. He was a tall, white-headed, distinguished-looking gentleman, and he was crazy. Leroy was crazy. I mean, he might draw you in with that captivating smile, But at the end of a year, he would come and he would say, Hey, Brady, I've got something to tell you. Okay. I have a feeling about this year, Brady. I feel like this is going to be the best year ever. And I said, Oh, oh really? The best year ever? I mean, I know he was baiting me in to ask the obvious follow-up question. But whenever he spoke, whenever he had something to say, I paid attention. He's crazy. This man was thrown in jail by his fellow Christian believers in another town. This was a man who would come into an assembly like this, and when people spotted him, the preacher might begin calling him out by name because they thought of him as crazy. Well, when I would hear him say, it's the best year ever, I would kind of scratch my head and think to myself, I mean, have you seen this year? I mean, have we really paid attention to this year? All the vitriol, all the accusations, the hostility, 
I mean, even just this week, a woman was telling me she was walking into Kohl's and two other women are coming out with armloads of bags and they're like, hurry up. And she turned, she said, are you going to pay for those? And they're like, Haha, no. And they left off to wherever they were going, Rio Rancho. I mean, this world is driving us crazy. It's full of theft, burnout. You know, I regularly hear about ministers that are leaving the ministry, leaving from churches that seem to be dying. And I just see this loss and depression, and I hear Leroy's voice, and I'm like, Leroy, would you still say that same thing this year? I mean, even the World Cup. I mean, aren't we feeling the loss? The United States now knocked out. It's been kind of humorous for me to watch this especially from my Texas friends, whenever they say, oh no, we had a tie. You know, we had multiple ties. Well, that was a good thing to get to the knockout round and then to lose. You know, it's not so much the on the field stuff that's caught my attention, but how does a small little country of three million people draw in the biggest soccer sporting event in the world, the biggest athletic event in the world. How do they do that? And all the human rights violations, their 95% uh, immigrant labor population force that is their labor force really makes me wonder. And so I just think, I don't know, Leroy, I don't know, Brother Garrett, if I could agree with what you have to say. You remember last year, first week of Advent, I proposed a decoration for our stage. Do you remember this? A dry, cut-off stump yeah, and as, as you can see, thankfully, the small groups that uh, decorated the stage did not take me up on such a downer of a, of a decoration, a cut-off dry stump. But I'm serious about this. When we talk about the root of Jesse, we're talking about a tree that's been cut down. It's dead. And all that's left is a stump in the ground. And to me, that seems like a good place to go. Isaiah 11, 10. That this stump is the place that the nations will grow out of. So what was Leroy's answer? I mean, I told you that whenever he spoke, I listened. Whenever he'd call me on the phone, whenever he'd come into my office or we'd meet one another, and usually whatever he said, I was quickly going to go to my journal and write down the story, write down the reference. Because when you're a PhD from Harvard and you're trained in theology, you're a member of my church, I've got to pay attention to what this guy has to say, even if so many people thought he was crazy and off. What would he say? Well, I remember another occasion, not this one, when he gave a verse that he called a purple passage. He was often talking about purple passages. These are passages of Scripture that just kind of rise to the surface. You know, even though we take all of Scripture, not all of it is exciting. There are lots of genealogies. There are stories that are hard to make sense of. But there are purple passages that come up to the top, and they touch and resonate across many different people, different cultures, and they stick. And he gave me one. And I wouldn't have known that that particular one would be one that today I still cling to with both hands. One that shapes my way of looking at all people in the world. A way that, now that we've come to Romans, come to this summary passage, shapes the way I look at Romans, and yet it's one that commentators look over. It's easy to slide past, and it's this phrase. Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. Romans 15, verse 7. That's the phrase that stuck with me. And, and I 
was captured onto that because here is a guy, Leroy, who's rejected. He, he's turned away by so many different people, and yet a guiding principle for him was to welcome other people just as Christ has welcomed him. And that sticks to me because even though this might be something people would dismiss or see as a small thing, it's not. It gets at the core of what we've been about in this series, this Together series. And I think it provides a core principle as it shows up here in the second time that Paul has prayed in the letter. The first time, way back in chapter 1, verse 9, and now swinging all the way to the end, in chapter 15, verses 5, 6, and 7, we get this prayer where we're supposed to welcome one another in the manner that Christ has welcomed us. I cling on to this because I know who I am, just like you mainly know who you are the things that you've done, the crosswords that you've said, the people that you've hurt, maybe even the things that no one knows about. And so this verse comes as something of a challenge that I'm supposed to welcome other people in the way that Christ has welcomed me and invited me into fellowship with Him. So I, I know the salvation I've been given in Jesus. I know my failings. I know my misspoken words, the jealousy that I have, and I'm to welcome others as Christ has welcomed me. The prayer that he prayed in chapter 1 points us to the core gospel of Jesus being the Son of David, pronounced the Son of God, who's come to bring righteousness, the very righteousness of God, to all of us. God has welcomed us into this fellowship through Jesus. And it's a kind of welcome that's not just in word. Like I know we might think of this as like a Walmart greeter welcome. Welcome, Jesus loves you. And we think of it in terms of words. Well, this is different from me just giving you words. It's not just a confession that I say. It's not just a statement of belief, a tenet of belief. This message is meant to be an action. Embodied. Showing up in everything that I do. Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. It's a filter. It's the way we see the entirety of our brothers and sisters in this world. It's how I'm supposed to conduct my life. Not just as a Walmart greeter saying, Jesus loves you. Warm smile. But as someone who, by my very life, is rolling out the red carpet where people can see Jesus and experience Jesus in a way that they wouldn't if I had not shown up. The same is true of you. How are you making it possible for people to connect with Jesus by the way that you live your life? Well, what does this look like? Paul tells us in this chapter. The first verse, he says, the strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak. These first two verses tell us what this welcome is supposed to look like. It means people that think of themselves as strong, which is anyone that thinks that they're right. Anybody think that they're right? Okay, so we're supposed to, as the strong people, put up with the failings of the weak. It also says in these verses that we are not only supposed to put up with them, but we're supposed to please our neighbor. We're supposed to build up our neighbor. Did you see those three things? To put up with them, to please them, and to build them up in Christ. 
It's not about like what he said in chapter 14, verse 1, when he opened this section and said, yeah, welcome the weak, but not so you can have a fight with them. Have you done this before? Invited someone in? Oh yeah, come on. Well, we'll get you fixed up. We'll get you scrubbed up. We'll get you corrected on all the things that you're doing wrong. Paul says, don't do that. Welcome the weak. If you think you're the strong, welcome as the strong man Jesus himself did and model his action, his cruciform action, where your life takes on the shape of a cross and your practice models this for others, where we tolerate one another's weakness because we know that we're weak. What does this look like in your small group? We've got 16 small groups here at First Christian. Most of you are involved in a small group. Well, in a small group, it, it for sure means looking around at those in your small group and seeing them as the strong person, someone that you can welcome. But it also means casting your attention and your eyes on those that are in your life who might need this welcoming to Jesus. You know, your friends, your acquaintances who don't know Jesus, who don't have the message that God loves them. And that God wants to live with them. It's casting your eyes to your friends outside of that group. What does it look like for kids? For our kids, they need to know this is a safe place. Where they're loved. Where we love them unconditionally. That we're willing to listen to them. And most of all, to know that God is God. And we should seek God with everything that's within us. So yeah, we want them to know that they're loved and we're on their side and it's a safe place, but we want them to know who God is and to seek God above all else. And that gets us to the prayer. Verses 5, 6, and 7. Where God gives us some gifts. He gives us His steadfastness. He gives us His encouragement. God is a stick to God. And He sticks to us. He doesn't flit around and move around without roots. God is rooted to us and invites us to be that kind of a rooted people. A God who anchors us in the soil of His love. God who doesn't really need our invitation, but it sure is good whenever we say, God, yes, come live my life with me. To recognize God's involvement in our life. To say, yes, I want to to speak to you and tell you about how I see your presence, God, and To even be able to say, God, I'm seeing this big absence. I'm seeing this dry stump in my life. And to be able to ask God about that. Being persistent in prayer, being present before God, always partnering with God through the midst of our suffering and our discouragement, and using those as a chance to lean into God, to surround ourselves with a God who wants us to surrender ourselves to Him. In the midst of this prayer, where he grants encouragement and steadfast love, we get to what's my favorite part. A word that doesn't show up, actually, in my favorite translation of the NRSV. Or even in the old 1984 NIV. It doesn't show up quite the way that I think it should. Here's the phrase, verse 5. May the God of steadfast and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. It's a fair enough translation, but the part that gets left out is the mind. In the mind or the attitude, and here's how it would read. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony 
of one mind in accordance with Christ Jesus. That's really key. That our mind or our attitude, our whole entire disposition is in accordance with Jesus Christ. We're focused in on aligning ourselves and our lives with Jesus. So that affects how we approach other people, that we're seeing them as Christ sees them. We're having and putting on this skullcap of Jesus to where we're welcoming them. Their response doesn't really matter. They may not like us. They may not want to live in harmony. That's not the part of it. It's our attitude that we possess of how we go to that other person. And the reason this is my favorite is because I get Paul as his own distinguished white-haired gentleman. I think he was a lot more beat up maybe even than Leroy Garrett. Do we have any Philippians 2 fans? In Philippians 2, if we have any encouragement from Christ, right? Comfort from His love. Have the attitude of Christ. Have the same mind of Christ. This is the same word here. To take on this disposition of a servant, a God, who came and didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Well, do we have any Colossians 3 fans? Colossians 3, another great place to, to memorize, another great purple passage of setting your minds on things above, right? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're to set our minds up there to be high-minded in this way, where our intention in everything, is to welcome people as Christ has welcomed us. It's a very contrarian way to act, which Leroy was one with a twinkle in his eyes who could be crazy like a fox because he was trying to show love in so many different ways. And this is one place that we could do it, having the mind of Jesus. Well, Paul, in the end of his life, in this Roman letter, shows up multiple times. Do you remember chapter 12, verse 2? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, that, that one, by the, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in verse 3, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Again, we're pushed into this mind of Christ. Or in chapter 8, verse 5, where we're not supposed to have our minds set on flesh, letting our flesh, our desires, the things that we want, be the horses that drag us wherever they may in our life. We're to have our minds not set there, but set on the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And you look and you say, well, that's good, Brady, but what does that look like in the real world? With bosses that are difficult, that are tough, with accusations that fly around, with spouses that don't give us joy in quite the same way with expectations that we have not being met by our friends or our family? What are we supposed to do in these dry stump moments of life when we're sitting there on that dry stump with our, our head, our chin, on our fingers, slumped over wondering what's to happen? I mean, we know the current conversations. They're, they're hostile. They're accusatory. Mean. Hateful. And we're told constantly to be separate from anyone who's different from us, to almost just be alone with fewer and fewer people who are just same, the same as us, and to hate and push away everyone else. Brothers and sisters, that's not the together story. 
That's the anti-together story because the gospel moves us into relationship with those who are different from us. It moves us outside of ourselves. This sameness is true for Paul as well. We like to think we've cornered the market on having a terrible world right now. We haven't. Paul dealt with Gentile Christians who thought, well, we've got freedom in Christ. We don't really need these Jews. Or Jewish Christians who thought, we've got the Torah, we've got the law, we've got God over the long haul. We're the ones. And Paul says, uh-uh. Let me preach you a little sermon. Did you hear him preaching a sermon where he quotes a bunch of texts? And then he said, and then it's written, and it's written over and over again. He says, look, this whole idea of inclusion, of including the nations, was from the beginning. Go back and read the four Old Testament passages. God's plan was for all from the beginning. It's not about one race. It's about one race being servant to all others. Just like Christ is servant to all others. Read it, it's there. Or in verse 11, the verse that I already quoted from my dry stump analogy from 11, chapter 11 of Isaiah, that from the dry stump that seems gone, all the nations grow up. So, Christianity is not about sameness. It's not about uniformity. It's about having the same mind, the same attitude, the same disposition as Jesus Christ. Taking that on in our life, where we can have that one mind, the mind of Christ that allows us to live in harmony. And then in verse 6, be able to with one voice praise the one God that's over us all. Well, I haven't really told you what Leroy said. My crazy Harvard friend who lived into his late 90s when he said, I have a feeling that next year is going to be the best year ever. And so I'd say, all right, how? How is it going to be the best year ever? Because I'd heard him say it to other people. I'd heard, it, heard him say it to me every year. He said it's going to be the best year ever because with God, the best is always ahead. It's always to come. Dry stumps are the place where God does his best work. So if you're in one of those dry desert seasons, get ready. Get ready because God is doing good things. He takes evil, the evil that's in our life, and he begins to turn it. When we give it to God, he turns it and transforms it into good. He brings it into fullness. God is all about shining light. I think what Leroy Garrett was showing was that the kingdom of God is present. It's not something far off. It's not 10 years down the road. It's right now. It's today. It's like Jesus said, it's near. It's at hand. And we live in that hope and we live in that kingdom right now. So can I give you a corner of the world where this hope is active and alive? I mentioned the World Cup. I, I think what's most interesting may be what happens off the field. Dohar, not far from the stadium, but by car a long trip, is a place that's known as Church City. This is a, a Muslim country, but they do allow for some Christian worship. I told you that, uh, maybe I didn't, but there are 300,000 citizens in Qatar, but 3 million people live there. That's kind of a weird number, right? 
Only 300,000 citizens, but 3 million people? That's right. Because in this oil-rich nation, they're able to bring in immigrant laborers to take care of all of their needs. And that's where the human rights violations are atrocious and difficult. Half, half the country may or may not be Muslim, but in these buildings that have no Christian markings whatsoever, Christians are allowed to worship. And so Father Rally has a church, this is a Catholic priest, of 200,000 before COVID. 100,000 after COVID. He'll do 15 masses a day. The Anglican Church has their own space too, and 85 different Anglican churches meet there. And they adjust and they flex. Friday is the day of worship in a Muslim country, and so Christians have moved to worship on Friday when people are off. They do have worship services at other times. And so what I'm bringing up to you is that these migrant workers, these people that are doing the menial tasks, are bringing Christianity into this country. They're modeling what it is to be a servant. We tend to think that God must come through the powerful, but God almost always comes through the oppressed, through the back door, through the servant. It's what we see in Jesus Christ. You see, the dry stump has latent powers. There are fibers created by God with the ability to become life again, with sun, with water, with dirt, not disconnected from the earth like I joked about as my perpetual Christmas decoration of the dry stump. Because it's not a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. It's the way things are. Whenever we begin to pray like Paul, whenever we begin to pray that this God who gives us steadfastness and encouragement will do what he says and allow us to grow in how we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. This one who's given us the opportunity to take on the very mind of Christ, to, to fit ourselves with the skull cap of Christ, whatever works for you, the goggles, the skin, the clothing of Christ. You know, this week I, I, was, I was dragging on Monday. Um, I reached out to my beloved friend and said, hey, I just need prayer. I gave no specifics other than that. I need prayer. And this person texted back and said, yes, we need, we need prayers. I will gladly pray for you. And the words that were offered were Advent words. Come, Lord Jesus. Do we know these words? Can we say this? Come, Lord Jesus. If we're going to say during the Advent season, come, Lord Jesus, we need to let Jesus come as he wants to come. Not according to our view of the way Jesus had come. Not our perfect understanding of how Jesus should arrive, but to let Jesus come as Jesus wills on his terms. And so I invite you to say that and mean it. To take come Lord Jesus out because he is the very mind that we wear. He is the one who shows us what God looks like, this putting things back together kind of God. And he is the one that invites us into praying that the kingdom would come more on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, we invite you. You don't need an invitation. You've welcomed us in powerful ways, but we invite you. 
so that we will participate with you in our lives, that we will speak to you, that we will ask you questions about the frustrations that we will have. Help us to live our life with you so that we can truly have this mind of Christ to be able to welcome others as you've welcomed us and to be able together with one voice magnify and glorify you in all that we do and all that we say. We pray this through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.